you know, I'm like five days away from leaving to Pakistan. You know, uh, of course I'm not packed yet. Um, but you know, I've shot the gun. I'm dialed in. I know what I'm doing. And my, and my son's like, Hey dad, let's go ride dirt bikes. And so I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go. You know, I'm going to be gone for, you know, 30 days. Let's go. We go out to the desert and, and, uh, he jumps on his motorcycle. I get it started and he tears across the the wash and he's out there and i watch him go smoking out across there and he crashes and uh it looked like a crash it wasn't a crash but so i like instantly you know i throw my helmet on no gear jump on my motorcycle start it up and i go tearing out across there and i have no idea what happened but i wheelied over somewhere in between the truck and him and scorpioned myself and freaking i i broke I broke uh, some vertebrae in my back and I tore two ligaments in my knee. And uh, five days before. <laughs> five days before. So. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the GSEO podcast, where hunting is the number one conservation tool. Today's guest, Aaron DeRose, is like a brother to me and, in my opinion, one of the best hunters I know. He is also the owner and president of several successful businesses, including Dillinger River Outfitters in Alaska, who I guide for. We will get into some Alaska narrative, as well as some of Aaron's personal hunting stories throughout this podcast, including a Pakistan blue sheep story that is definitely one you won't want to miss. But for now, let me introduce you to the one and only Aaron DeRose. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. How you doing, Teej? Doing good, buddy. How's uh, things in Junction today? Man, it is good. It is good to be back from uh, the season in Alaska and back to the grind with the other companies. As you can imagine, the desk uh, stacks up with stuff that needs uh, some attention. Yeah, all that stuff that uh, they're like, oh, we'll save that for Aaron. <laughs> it doesn't stop, man. It's amazing, but uh, it's it's what I do. It's fun to an extent and a grind to the other extent. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm glad you um, actually have the time to, to talk because I know you're a super busy dude and uh, we appreciate you um, taking the time to, to do this with us and talk a little bit about um, uh, our season and everything like that. Uh, but first, I just want to kind of let everybody know that Aaron and I have uh, known each other for, I don't know, probably close to almost 15, 20 years now. So um, we actually met, uh, Aaron used to be uh, an outfitter in um, a lot, or, uh, in Africa, and uh, he had donated a hunt, and I bought this hunt, and that's how Aaron and I had kind of gotten gotten closer over the years. Um, so Aaron's been doing this for a very long time. He's, like I said, he's probably one of the best hunters that I know and that nobody's ever heard of, but, uh, he kind of likes it that way. And, 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 uh, yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, your background, um, in outfitting and, you know, kind of how you got into it. You know, it's kind of, I mean, it dates back from the beginning of time, the first uh, rabbit my dad let me shoot, you know, just like, you know, most people that are fanatics about the outdoors and hunting. I mean, it was genetically bred into me and, uh, and just from the get go, that's all I wanted to do in my life. Um, it became pretty apparent, uh, later on in high school that I was going to have to, I couldn't just hunt all the time and take, uh, the fall off when it came time to graduate high school and go to college. I had to come up with something to do. So, uh, you know, my first taste of it was I used to guide for a deer and elk outfitter here in uh, Colorado named Bill Law when I was uh, 18 years old. I did that for a while and, and, you know, went to college and then went and did some other stuff, um, job wise. And then, and then I ended up in Africa and, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, met, uh, my, uh, 
my first wife there and had to come up with a, uh, I should say my first and only wife there. Um, <laughs> I'm a little rough, but, but, uh, um, <laughs> needed to come up with a way to, uh, um, try and uh, get her back uh, to Africa for a significant, South Africa in particular for a significant amount of time out of the year. So, you know, just kind of transitioning started, uh, you know, looking into the possibilities uh, of becoming an outfitter in Africa and going through the process of doing that. So I did that for about 15 years um, where obviously I, I really, you know, our relationship kind of kicked off T Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, did that, worked in South Africa, Namibia and Mozambique. Um, you know, uh you know, the latter half of my tenure of doing that was spent mostly in uh like Mozambique and Namibia. I uh I particularly personally like the the no fence, you know, type of hunting. Um, you know, for me that kind of scratches an itch that I like and, and guiding and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, did that for like uh, 15 years and then decided I was uh, done with that when my son was born, was tired of being gone and didn't want to miss out on his life. And, and, you know, Africa has its own perils in that, uh, in that professional hunting, uh, you know, in that profession. So came back to the U S and, you know, really just started grinding on some other companies and got the, you know, industrial coatings company up and going and a couple other companies and, you know, how business ventures are, they just kind of spiral and, uh, and create opportunity. And then, you know, I'd been out of hunting long enough when I decided that we would, uh, you know, start something else up, kind of pulled the team together and said, Hey boys, what do y'all want to do? Alaska was at the top of the list. So then we, you know, we started that endeavor on looking on how we could uh, get our feet in the door in Alaska and, and offer, you know, the same kind of, you know, full accountability, professional business model that we do in all of our other businesses. Yeah. And it's been really successful. I mean, you've, from where, where it was, um, when you bought it to what it is now. And, um, I think that has a lot to do with your ability to build a team. We've talked about this before, but, um, you kind of, you know, put the team together and then you kind of let people just kind of run with it and, you know, have accountability for themselves as, as they kind of work for you. So that's, that's yeah, you know, cool. the biggest thing T is I just like, you know, my team to make it their own. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm a, I, I, you know, I benefit from being surrounded by just amazing people like you included and, and all the other guys who work for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a true believer in, you know, create opportunity and let people make it their own. And, and you're right. You know, Alaska was a disaster. You know, what I bought was an absolute train wreck. And, and, you know, it came with some, it came with a, you know, a bad reputation and, you know, we got some dirt on our hands just by, by buying into that thing and, and getting that particular individual out of the, out of the Alaskan range. And, and uh, it's been a, it's been a different type of challenge just, you know, considering it's Alaska and the way that that, that community, uh, views non-residents, if you will. For sure. And I, ha- I kind of had this question for further down the podcast, but it's a perfect time, I think, to, to talk about it. And that's like, you, you've been the only one to really successfully navigate owning an outfit in Alaska without having your registered guide license. And I mean, I don't know how much you want to elaborate on that, but I think it's a pretty unique story to you because I mean, you're kind of the pioneer of that, you know? So talk a little bit about that. You know, teach, it was, uh, to be honest with you, it was way more than, than I originally had, you know, intended on, um, you know, 
to be honest, you know, going into it from the get go, it was never my intention to hold a registered guide license. Um, uh, I, I, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in taking, you know, a successful business model and applying it to a new industry that has a, or has, and had, and, and cur- had, and currently has a, a need for professionalism in, in, in that particular industry. Um, so, you know, I, it was, there was a few curveballs there. Um, obviously when we first got started, you know, we got, uh, we got the company bought, um, unbeknownst, uh, to us, you know, in the purchasing of it, there was some non-disclosed legal issues with the previous owner. Um, so, you know, the original plan was to have the previous owner work for a few years, um, until a member of the team, you know, could qualify to get a registered guide license and, and move forward. Well, I mean, we weren't in it a year when, uh, you know, kind of it got unveiled to, to myself and, and my legal team that, uh, you know, our, uh, the previous owner had all kinds of legal issues mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, through that process that, that individual lost his, his guide license. And, and, uh, then, you know, we just had to, you know, basically start fresh, you know, we had to go back to the drawing board, you know, how are we going to legally operate in Alaska without, you know, the owner holding a, you know, registered guide license. So that's when I just went into team building mode. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's when I, you know, just kind of went back to, to what I think I'm best at is, you know, just kind of picking a winning team and, and uh, coming up with a way to make sure that every member on that team is successful. And, and through this process, I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, absolutely blessed to have come across Andrew Weaver, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meeting and talking with him. Uh, amazing dude, probably the most genuine human being I've ever met, you know, uh, devoted to religion and family and his business. And I mean, just an all around great guy. You know, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with him, sit down with him, you know, really kind of go over the vision of, of, of Dillinger and, and what I wanted uh, to provide for the employees of Dillinger, you know, and this is, this is a huge misconception, you know, um, you know, a lot of people think that their business is like their alter ego or something like that. You know, for me, it's not, yeah. um, my, uh, business is a business and the business is here to serve a purpose. And that purpose is to serve the people that are willing to entrust in you with their financial future. I mean, really, it's right. what it boils down to, right? Somebody says, hey, I want to come to work for you. I'm trusting you'll make the right decisions to give me an opportunity to be successful in my life, provide for my family, and and uh, and, and gain knowledge and, and, and live a better life. So... You know, that's, you know, that's what this is all about is, is about the team and the team having opportunity and people having the opportunity to live their dreams out. And I'm just fortunate enough that, that, you know, sometimes I can pick or put together a pretty good team and, and I, and I can, you know, I'm always striving to be a better leader and give people better opportunities. But, but really the success of Dillinger simply boils down to good people doing the right thing, honestly, um, and, and giving those employees or those people who work for Dillinger the opportunity to not only financially, but professionally succeed and advance their, their, their wants and wishes in their life. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, that's the secret, you know, I mean, like, woo, you know, anybody can, can, can buy a company and take a swing at it. But, but I truly believe, you know, being selfless and, and giving, 
you know, helping people live out their dream is a guaranteed successful model for dang near everything you do in life. Yeah, for sure. And I know one thing about you that I've known for a long time is like, you'll, you'll do anything like from burning turds to flying, to packing, to whatever, to dishes. Like Aaron's not the guy that's just standing back there and like, no, I don't do the dishes. Like, no, if it needs done, like you're the first one to always jump in there. Like, and you always told me like you lead from the top down. And I think that's always resonated with the whole team. I think. Yeah. You know, the real secret is top down, bottom up. You you know what I mean? I mean, uh, I don't have a job description, right? Right. My my sole job is to do whatever the team or the company needs me to do. That's it. Whether I want to do it or not, that's what I wake up and I remind myself every day is that my job is to serve those who are working to serve us and to serve our customers. That's awesome, man. And I think that's why you've been uh, really successful for sure. That and your just business knowledge in general. Man, I, I don't know if it's that or if it's just like sheer tenacity sometimes because, uh, well, you know, TJ, yeah. I mean, just it's a grind, right? You, oh, know, yeah. you, you do the right things and you hope the right things yield the right results and, and provide opportunity for the right people and, and boom, that's life, right? Yep. You wake up and, and, and you leave a legacy, you know, that hopefully your, you know, your, your kids and, and, and your, your loved ones can, you know, carry on and be proud of what you did. For sure. For sure, man. Well, that's all good stuff, dude. So let's talk a little bit about how, uh, our season went and as far as like the doll sheep and the moose and everything and goes, and then we'll, we'll dive into a little bit of, um, what your take is on the sheep population, but just talk a little bit about how our season kind of went this year. You know, uh, our season was a smashing success. Um, but to be honest with you, it's, it's, this sounds arrogant as heck and it's certainly not meant to be, but the, but the, you know, the stats speak for themselves, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, this season was as good as any other. Um, we went, uh, 16, uh, for 17 on moose with, uh, man, I think, what was it like a 66 and a half inch average yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, on, <laughs> on width. It was, it was off the charts. Um, you know, so the moose season was a smashing success. Sheep was a little bit rough. Um, we uh, had seven hunters total. We killed three rams. We had two legitimate misses um, at under 350, um, which, in my opinion, should equate for, you know, a dead ram. Um, we had one hunter quit, and we had one hunter that legitimately did not have what I would consider an opportunity. Mm-hmm. We saw legal rams. But he didn't have an opportunity to shoulder the rifle and, and pop a cap. So, you know, for me, that's the one thing that 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 kind of grinds on me is that lack of an opportunity. You know, I take uh, people's people putting their dream in my hands. I, I take it uh, very, very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And at some stage, you know, we do ninety nine percent of of the chase of that dream, but we hand that 1% over to them when they flick their safety off. Right. For sure. To where, you know, they do their part and they realize their dream through, through, you know, everything that's gone into the hunt, you know? So, so that somebody not having the opportunity to, you know, seize their dream by their own doings, um, is kind of a grind point for me. Um, as far as caribou, you know, we killed some, some good caribou bulls this year. We're hundred percent on caribou. You know, bears weren't as amazing as uh, as they have been. You know, we just had weird stuff happen, like uh, uh, clients that didn't have grizzly tags and they were covered up with grizzlies. Clients that had a grizzly tag as a secondary species 
uh, you know, never saw one, you know, mm-hmm. or, or saw a sow and cubs. It was, uh, it was kind of one of those years where you're just kind of chasing bears, you know, here mm-hmm. and there. And, 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 you know, it's just typical hunting stuff, you know, um, down in icy Bay, you know, uh, I just got word yesterday, you know, Ryan Pierce was down there, um, with guy Jordan Watley. And I mean, he slammed a absolute giant, uh, uh, brown bear. I think I sent you pictures. You of did. It. You know, the, the, the bear doesn't have a tooth in his head. Yeah. It's a um, stellar bear. Yeah. Legitimately the most emaciated bear I've ever seen in the fall. And I think he's still squared, you know, nine, six or nine, seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been amazing to see that bear in his prime. Didn't have an ounce of fat on him. Um, you know, and I, I dig those stories, you know, like I, I dig those kind of those kind of hunts where you kill something that probably wasn't even going to make it out of his den once he went in there. Right. You know, like, like for us. So, so we're still plugging away. We've got some goat hunts to do later on. Um, so we'll, we'll obviously add to our totals on and, and our, you know, species that we're chasing this year. But I mean, the year's not over. I mean, it's, uh, it's October 5th and it's not over. So yeah, it's just over in one area. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you transition from out West, uh, to down an icy bay and here we go again. Yeah, for sure. Hey everybody, just a quick reminder here to get signed up for our memberships. Whether you're signing up as a new member or just renewing, it is vital in helping our conservation efforts for all species. We have a couple different options for you to choose from. The first is our most popular. It's $75 per year, which you get four issues of the Slam Quest magazine, which in my opinion is the best hunting mag out there. It also comes with many other benefits that you can see on our website at slamquest.org. The second option is our eMag, which is $25 per year, and you get all the same benefits with the exception of voting rights and no print magazine will be sent to you. So if you're a digital person, this one is made for you. You can learn more about how to get signed up for these memberships as well as our international and lifetime memberships at slamfest.org. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can attest we had a really great season. The moose was just, I mean, but the moose is honestly, our I think, our bread and butter. Um, we, we kill some awesome moose and this year was no exception for sure but uh let's talk a little bit about the the sheep and what you think the population is like uh jason and i did a podcast like last week and we talked you know um our expediter had given me some numbers and jason said he checked on those numbers too about the how many sheep were checked in and you know the percentage of of subs and so what's your take on doll sheep in the alaska range Man, I, I, I don't I don't think it's just a, a range question necessarily as much as it is is the you know what's the status of dull sheep in the state of Alaska? Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it's no big secret. Alaska range dull sheep have suffered significantly over the last few years. Um, just in the last five years, the amount of or, or the reduction in the numbers of sheep has just been staggering, and. And as all hunters know, it's not hunting pressure on eight-year-old plus rams that is causing lambs, you know, lamb uh, survival rates to be low, you know. Um, and, and what we're dealing with right now is literally, you know, from 10 years ago, the winters have been very harsh and lamb recruitment has been, I mean, just terrible. I mean, this year, you know, just myself, I looked at probably 45 or 50 ewes, you know, just around, um, the lodge there. Mm -hmm. I saw two lambs. Wow. Two lambs. Uh, that kind of, uh, recruitment is a guaranteed zero sheep in the future. I mean, it's a, it's not a hunting related problem. 
as much as it is, you know, uh, climate, you know, I don't know if, you know, what role exactly, you know, uh, predation is, is playing on that. But, but I can tell you when August rolls around and I see, you know, two lambs for, for 45 ewes, that's a freaking problem. For sure. And that's not a problem stopping hunting's going to fix. That's, that's, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a biologist trying to come up with a plan to, uh, to, to bring these sheep back. Um, because I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think, uh, the doll sheep is going to be one of the hardest species in our near future to collect as far as, uh, you know, somebody, you know, wanting to get their grand slam or something like that. I think that, that, I mean, we used to kill 12 rams five years ago. We would kill 12 rams averaging 10 and a half years old. Right. And we were done. We hunted for five days on each one of our 10 day hunts. Now, you know, now we're, we're grinding out, we're reducing our hunts. And some, uh, some of the reason we had seven this year is uh, some donations we did um, in previous years that just kind of fell the way they did. I would have liked to have potentially done because of covid more than anything probably huh yeah yeah it's just kind of a a snowball effect i would have uh, personally liked to have done like four hunts um no more than that but just with like the covid and the donations and the you know less than one donations and stuff like that uh and the talk of you know potential closure i didn't want one of those donations to uh to go to the wayside or or somebody not have the opportunity to hunt sheep so Mm -hmm. Um, but man, it's, it's a tough thing. And I think, I think sheep are in big trouble, doll sheep in particular in Alaska. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, man, there's not an easy answer. I can just tell you right now that, that, I mean, it's a bleak outlook to be honest. And I have an 11 year old son that there's nothing I would love more than to have him get a ram. But I mean, I, I don't know if that's that's feasible in the in the future. I right. don't know. I don't know what is the responsible thing to do. I do know that you know financially speaking, for for an outfitting business, you know whether we have a doll sheep season or not, it's no big deal to us financially. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I think that's a very unique position in the outfitting world. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but you know, our position is we're you know, uh, we're, we're in good shape financially, you know, we're well-funded, you know, we're well-organized, you know, we're well-equipped. Um, so I don't know what they do. And I don't know what you do for doll sheep to prevent lambs, you know, from, from winter killing. Right. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you, even if you stopped hunting, like you said, it's not a hunting related thing, but even if you stopped hunting and you still have those harsh winters, those sheep are still going to die. Yeah, I mean, so. um, you know, it's just some of the hearsay that's going around. You know, I've heard one of the biologists say that he can build a sheep herd with 30% lamb recruitment. So that's that's three lambs surviving out of 10 sheep. I mean, we were, we're, we're I mean, we're not even at, yeah. we're not even close to that. No. And we haven't been close to that for a couple of years. So I don't know how you build a population of sheep when when you're talking 10% recruitment of lambs. Right. So, I mean, it's a very, very, very complex thing. It's, 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 it's one of those topics too, that's going to divide residents and non-residents and, and the whole rack organization. And, uh, I mean, it is, I, this is a powder keg that, uh, fingers are going to be pointed and people are going to be whining and crying and mm-hmm. la, 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 same old crap. Yeah. I heard 
they're having a meeting here soon, the state of Alaska, about the sheep, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they are. It's a comment period now. I mean, it's the same. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, residents are going to be pissed that they can't hunt doll sheep every year, but they pay really nothing to hunt them, and they want the resource protected. And non-residents are going to be pissed if they go to a draw system, and outfitters are going to be pissed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But the bottom line is is the wildlife in Alaska is paid for by non-resident dollars, not resident dollars. I mean, like, literally, you're going to watch this thing. It's going to go nowhere because fingers are going to be pointed in every direction. Yeah. And, 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 you know, sound biology will not make the right decision. It'll be policy and politics that makes the decision. Yeah. And it's the same plight we have all over. It's, I mean, it's an absolute utter shame and a joke. Mm-hmm. But let's hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But I certainly wouldn't bet I'm wrong. Right. Yeah. I just don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I've talked about this with some of the Alaska resident guides we have and like, what's the best way to, and I just don't know. Like, it's too bad you couldn't do a Mexico model with a doll sheep, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just not doable, right? Yeah, there's I just mean, no way. It, it's just not doable. And, no. and you know, that's the craziest thing in the world. I mean, I can remember when I knew I could kill a stone. I knew I could kill a doll. I knew I would draw a rocky tag. But, man, a desert. How was I going to get a desert killed, when, mm-hmm. you know, 25 years ago? Yeah. How was I going to afford it? Now, I mean, shit. A desert's the, the easiest to obtain and probably the sheep that is going to be the most affordable. Yeah. Yeah, because there's so many. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's different species, different environment. I mean, different model yeah. to, for success with those. So. Yeah, that's, they're definitely in trouble. And I've been telling everybody that too. Like, doll sheep, like if you want one, you better get one now because it's going to be the hardest one to get. And Yeah, there's, the, there's no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. The writing's on the wall for sure. It is. It is. There's no doubt. I mean, when I killed my ram with Dillinger when I was a client in 18, like that, that seemed like the heyday. I mean, I shot my ram out of four legal rams, two 10 year olds, two eight year olds. And that year, I remember you guys had killed five in like three days. It was like, you know, they were just, and they were all average 10 year old rams. And it's just, it's changed so much from 2018 to what it is now. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I can remember, you know, the oldest ram, you know, that ever killed, killed Mike Davidson, guiding him. Right. That thing was 14 freaking years old. Yeah. 14 years old. And I mean, honestly, I can remember flying around looking at sheep prior to the season, trying to figure out where we're going to go and being like, hey, I don't see any like smoke shows in that, you know, band of rams. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Man, th- those look like nothing's going to exceed, you know, nine years old in that, you know. Let, you know, let's leave those rams and oh hey there's there's a group with like two at least 10 year old rams and that we're gonna hunt that band mm-hmm. and, and literally like now you know you know prior to the season do i mean we're burning thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in super cub gas trying to make sure that we give our clients the best opportunity at at collecting a ram yeah yeah and we're having to go deeper I mean? and deeper like just to even find those sheep like that. I yeah. know that spot where you killed Mike's ram. Like we haven't seen a sheep there in two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. It was one of the best yep. spots. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's insane. And like that one, uh, Colin, that was a less than one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he killed that, that, uh, nine year old ram or he was 10. What, how old was that? Nine year old ram this year, right? Yeah. 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 It was a nine year old ram. I mean, like, like that ram, I mean, they're, they're back in the back of, I mean, we used to never even consider hunting in those areas, but no. Even when you fly them, it's not like that there's a, you know, a little hidden pocket of, you know, 65 sheep back in there. It's 
hey, there's one ram on the hillside or one ram with a seven-year-old. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're looking at ones and twos, like yeah. not yeah. big groups of them like there used yeah. to be. Yeah, I mean, just take, you know, our Moose Lake. Man, the last time I killed a ram there in 2018, mm-hmm. when I walked back to the plane and we we're done, season's over, there was 22 rams in there. Wow. The next spring, there wasn't a sheep one alive. Zero. Zero. Man, it's crazy. Zero. All the lowlands died out. It is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, Brett, when he was the, the trooper there, he would tell us the same thing. Man, I've been flying this place for 30 years, and I've this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never not flown and seen sheep, like, in spots that I always fly and see rams, and there's yep. nothing. I'm not even seeing a you. Yep. And that's the problem, is that winter right there, that, that late, wet spring snow that froze, wiped out those sheep. Yeah. Those sheep for years, for, for decades, had been out there on the face of those, probably in the most exposed area, but they hadn't had the perfect storm of a winter, and they'd been able to survive out there for decades. And then it took one of the right storms to literally wipe out all those sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even our neighbor, you know, let's yeah. like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mike's, Mike's story is the exact same. I mean, the amount of time we spend you know, just in reaching each other, talking to each other. Hey man, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? I mean, that, that's a neighbor mm-hmm. like that. That guy is a legit solid dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who honors a handshake and that's it. That Mike Litson, that's a solid, I'll, I'll take a neighbor like that any day. Mm-hmm. For sure. He's been great. Versus some of the coyotes that show up and try and squat in on your stuff. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they can't find any sheep where they are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or moose or, or whatever people take, you know, the, the opera or they see the success and they're like, Oh, we can do the same thing. Well, you can't do the same thing because you don't have the same resources. You don't have the same, you don't have the same personnel and hell you don't even own planes. Yeah. So how are you going to pull that stuff off? Just coyotes. What I call. Mm-hmm. No, I agree, man. It's yeah, it's scary out there. And I'm, I'm glad uh, I, that I actually got to take my Ram when I did. And I know you took yours a long time ago, but I feel sorry for people like Eli or my kids that, uh, you know, might not get that opportunity the way things are looking, you know? Yeah. Dude, my dream, like, honestly, I wanted my son to be able to say, Hey, you know, I was able to kill this Ram when I was 11 years old at a place my dad has. And my dad was able to guide me, you you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted that. And I mean, this year I could not even, allow my son to have a legitimate opportunity because i i i i was putting clients needs first mm-hmm. yeah and know. it may be over yeah you never know I mean, we'll see what happens in this, with yeah. this meeting but i mean yeah. it's up in the air i mean it really yep. is yep but that's the reality of it up in the air yeah yeah no i had a guy reach out to me that wanted to book a sheep hunt i said man I, we're not even gonna i can't, can't even take your deposit because i don't even know what's gonna happen like i have no idea yep and so we're just going to have to wait and see what. Yep. Uh, and all of Alaska is in the same situation. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. You can't have 257 inches of snow fall in a mountain range and expect sheep to live. Yeah. Yeah. Just wipe them out, man. They're just like we always, Jason and I and Brandon always say like, they're just meant the sheep are meant to die and stuff yep. like that. Just, just wipes them out for sure. Yep. It's true. So man, that's, it's all sad stuff, but, uh, um, it's all true. And that's, you know, that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on here because you do a lot of the flying and stuff. And, 
and and you see a lot of a lot of things that we don't see but that's another question i, I kind of have for you like dude you're one of the you're one of the best pilots that i know like uh you're you're really good at just getting into places and getting out of places man and just so talk a little bit about uh to the people about how how it how or what it's like to be a bush pilot in alaska and do some of the things that you do Man, Tej, you and I've had this conversation before, and I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, it kind of touches on a few, uh, a, a few things. You know, first off, if I can freaking fly a super cub and land in these places, anybody can with the right training. You know, these guys on Instagram that think they're, you know, God's gift because they drive around in a freaking plane with big tires and 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 act like they're something special. I I just laugh at it daily. Um, <laughs> Because the truth of it is, it's nothing. It's nothing special. It's definitely a skill that you have to hone and and uh, and spend some time doing. But it doesn't uh, make you greater than God Himself that you can fly a a fat tired plane and land I mean? on a gravel bar. Yeah, and land on a gravel bar. So I, you know, that being said, you know, uh, it, again, I'll say if I can do it, anybody can do it. The way I did it is here was another. Uh, I wouldn't say a shocker, but another like, wow, gotta, gotta put this into Dillinger is, you know, when we were in the the process of talking about all this and, and negotiating the purchase terms of this whole thing and how we're going to put this thing together and we're doing the business models and we're doing all this, you know, it kind of came apparent that somebody's going to have to drive an airplane a whole lot. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, okay, well, we're going to need some support, you know, registered guide will fly you know, how, how do you get support? So, you know, w- when the whole thing started, you know, I had an assistant guide license and, and, uh, and so the other special regulations that surround assistant guides ability to fly a client in a plane. And so we, you know, we, we followed those rules and stuff and, and, uh, you know, and, you know, did a little bit of flying, but long story short, what I did is I found, the person I consider, you know, the Jedi master of super cubs and that's Steve Williams uh-huh. with Acme cub and, uh, Acme cub in, uh, at Lake hood there, you know, um, I had met Steve previously when I was out just moose hunting on my own. Um, and you know, struck a deal with him for him to build me a, a super cub. And uh, part of the deal was I told him, I said, you know, everybody says like, you are the man to teach somebody how to fly. So I said, if I, if, if I hire you to build this plane, you have to teach me to fly too. And he was like, Oh man, you know, I, I, I teach, I do float plane ratings and tell wheel endorsements. And, you know, I do this and that I don't, you know, usually teach people from start to finish. And I'm like, well, that's a deal. He, he agreed to it. And then I literally spent six months of my life every week flying up to Alaska to fly for three or four days and then come back, fly back to Colorado and do my business stuff and get on a plane and fly back up there. Did that all through the winter, got my pilot's license and all that. And then, and I put probably another hundred hours, 150 hours into, you know, Steve teaching me to, to fly a plane in Alaska and, and to do it successfully and safely. Yeah. Um, and then there was, you know, during that time it was, it was a whole bunch of real world scenarios of what you'll hand, you know, what you'll deal with as a bush pilot. You know, mm-hmm. can I land there? You know, is that landable? If I land there, can I get off? You know, you know what, how short is short? You know, you watch all these videos on, on, on Instagram with a 30 mile an hour, you know, wind on the nose and people are landing in three feet and that's all cool. And, and they're in uncertified aircraft, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome stuff. But 
it's not the reality when you have a moose to get off of a 200 and you know, 50 foot strip. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's all different. And, 100%. And, and the one thing is, is, I mean, it's super cool, man. And it's a super rewarding thing to do, but, but man, it's, it's, it's like anything you, you practice at it. I, I'm, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about anybody who drives an airplane. You know, it's just, you know, you get exposed to something and you spend time doing it and you instantly get good at it. Just like you T and, and all the stuff that you excel at in life. Um, it's just one of those things, man. You know? Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me. And we, we've talked about this before, like where you're at at the start of the season. Like I've been with you when you're landing your first, like we're going out to set camps or something. And, and then where you're at at the end of the season, like your skill level, like it's amazing. Oh yeah, dude. It's like, it's insane. You know? Cause uh, the one thing about me is I don't get to drive a super cub, you know, 12 months out of the year. You know, once, uh, once I leave Alaska, you know, I'll go back up there a few more times, you know, put some skis on, do some, uh, you know, ski flying. But, but I, I virtually am, um, switching over to, you know, my Cessna and flying in the lower 48, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's airport to airport, you know, real boring stuff, but, but it is, you know, like when, but, but stuff that like, you don't even know, like when I first get there, man, I, uh, I put myself through the paces. I mean, one thing that I do every time is I, you know, right when I get to Anchorage, I have Steve lower my plane. I'm like, get in the back. Let's go. Pick me apart. Mm-hmm. Y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, it Tell is me a what huge I'm doing wrong. responsibility. Yeah. It's a huge responsibility, uh, putting people in an airplane and moving them around. And, and I take that responsibility as serious as I do somebody's dream hunt, you know? So, so, I mean, even before you get in the plane, you know, I'm, I've, already put 20 hours in with Steve over my shoulder, picking every little bad habit apart, uh, that I, that, that I picked up. So, um, flying the, you know, the Cessna, you know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. lower 48, you know, and it's, uh, and it's always, you know, uh, back to the weather stuff. You know what I mean? You know, the weather conditions you're flying in Alaska are different than the lower 48. Um, the demand on a pilot, you know, the, the personal minimums, you know, change, um, in different environments and stuff like that. So, so, I mean, there's a lot that actually goes into it, you know, that's kind of behind the scenes T that, that I do just so I, uh, feel confident that I'm at my best that I can be when the season starts. And, and honestly, at the end of the season, it's the same thing, man. I, I, uh, I, I truly feel like I can do just about anything I put my mind to in that plane. Yeah. Um, but I certainly don't start the season that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're like, uh- you know, between you and Andrew and Andrew's such a great pilot too. Like he, the guy's awesome. Um, you guys, you know, the way you guys talk and the way you guys fly together, like, and you help each other, it's, it's pretty amazing to see from the back seat. That's for sure. <laughs> man, it's so rewarding to be able to fly with a great pilot like Andrew. It just takes the load off. I mean, there's days that man, just the demand and the stress on, on moving that amount of, of, of dead moose and that amount of personnel and that amount of gear in the, in the windows, in the weather windows we have sometimes just gets, you know, over the top, but man, it's great to have Andrew. I mean, he's, he's always in. And when I'm, you know, not at my, my peak level, he's at his and vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times like you're going to land there first. You want me to, <laughs> you uh-huh. know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Cause every first. landing's different. And even if you land the same strip, 
50 times throughout the year, there's not one landing that's the same. The wind's different. The everything's different. Weather's different. You know, the it's, it's amazing. You know, the, the tundra changes, if it's got blueberries on it, it's slicker and crap, yeah. you know, by yeah. the end of the season, there's no blueberries on it. It's not slick. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Just, it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it that people don't really realize. I mean, that what you guys are doing when you're flying, um, it's just, you know, for a client, you know, being on the client side of things a bunch, like you're just like, man, this is amazing. Like you have no idea about how slick it is or, you know, like when we're landing at Moose Lake or something, the uphill landing and a, a, you know, a dog leg at the top and all this, all this stuff, you know, that goes into, you know, that stuff that you guys do. It's pretty amazing, man. For real. Oh yeah, dude. It's great. Yeah. And Andrew, <laughs> I love Andrew. He's just, you're like, are you going to land there? Or am I going to land there? And he's like, well, I'll land there. And then other times he's like, no, I think I'll let you land there first. <laughs> Do we, we, I mean, we, it's anybody that flies super cubs will know exactly what we're talking about. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just one of those deals. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great though, man. And you guys do an excellent job. Um, I've never heard a client complain about, you know, oh, we should have been flying or, you know, you guys always take, take that risk and all that stuff very seriously. So I know we appreciate it as guides and, and I know the clients really appreciate it too. Well, it's what we do, and it's, I mean, it's what is expected, right? Right, for sure. Make sure you have good equipment, make sure you're well-organized, make sure you meet the client's needs, and make sure you have the best staff possible. Yeah. Yep, and that's uh, one thing about you is, like, if, if you come hunting at Dillinger, um, we, we we have all the best stuff. Like, Aaron has made our job so much easier. Um, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot out there. If anybody has ever hunted in this camp in the past, if you came back now, you would be shocked to what it looks like. So... Yeah, that's all good stuff, man. Um, so now I'm going to transition just a little bit here. Uh, I have some uh, some GSEO stuff for you, um, questions that I that I ask, you know, a lot of the guests on here, and you know, that's and that is, you know, how did you hear about GSEO? And uh, that's the first part. And the second part is, what separates GSEO um, from the other organizations that uh, you see out there? So, you know, uh, GSEO has been around for, for forever. Um, I can remember, you know, wishing I had the money to apply for all the, the hunts and the giveaways. I mean, way back when, yeah. when, when I couldn't afford to apply for a sheep tag in any other state other than my, my home state. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yep. So GSEO uh, has always been, you know, on my radar is just one of those. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's an elite uh, uh organization Mm -hmm. like and and i don't mean elitist i mean elite Mm -hmm. um uh just in how they handle things uh i I know that there's been some transitions but the way they've handled these transitions and 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 the opportunities that they you know present and offer their members um you know from the awards you know uh banquets and 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 you know all the way through um you know from the from the convention model, you know, it's, you know, I would say the convention model and where the convention is held and the size of it, as far as attendees is probably the biggest challenge GSEO has. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but as far as, as far as I'm concerned from an outfitter's perspective, um, or the owner of an outfitting business's perspective, um, is that, you know, GSEO actually, uh, cares greatly about their outfitters. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and I don't know, not to not to bash on other organizations because I think other organizations have you know positive things with them. But but 
for me personally, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of, of TFL. Hey everybody, have you heard about our Super Slam drawing? If not, check this out. Since 2010, GSEO has sent more than 250 winners on free, fully guided hunts with some of the industry's best outfitters. That's more than $5 million worth of hunts. Wow. For only $100 per month or $1,200 per year, you will have the opportunity to win a hunt of a lifetime. In 2022 alone, you will have 30 chances of winning with multiple monthly drawings. You will also receive a GSEO membership and four issues of the best hunting mag in the industry. On top of that, the longer you're in the raffle, the more names you get in the hat. So keep that in mind. That's a big incentive. To join the Super Slam drawing, go to slamquest.org and sign up today. Yeah, that's uh, and it's only going to get better now um, it, once you talk to Jason about what we're going to do for the outfitters. Like it, The way we're going to treat them is only going to get better. So you're really going to be more appreciative of that for sure. Um, so like talking about the convention model, how do you think like, cause we have this discussion a lot where we think like the old convention model is kind of dead. Um, what's your kind of take on that? Like, do you have any fresh ideas about how a convention can be spruced up or how it can be better? Or, you know, should we make it more fun? Like, and not so it's a grind where you're just standing behind the booth all day, you know, stuff like that. What do you think? Well, man, that's, that's kind of a, there's a lot to that question. There's a lot to, to, uh, to unfold in that question. So as far as the convention model goes, um, I really can't like speak on that. Like alone, Mm -hmm. I can tell you the business model has changed Mm -hmm. and let me, uh, let me kind of, uh, create a correlation here with that. So, you know, in the old days, you know, a prospective client would show up at a convention, walk around, meet an outfitter, you know, meet two or three of them, you know, meet them after the convention, talk about what their dreams are, you know, what, what they're, what they're interested in. And then by the end of the convention, probably sign a contract and pay a deposit. Mm -hmm. So, so you had attendees showing up specifically to have an information collecting couple days and then a decision-making day um, uh, in, in their convention experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can tell you from our perspective, when I go to a convention now, the people that walk up to my booth have already decided they are booking with us and they are simply showing up to see us face to face to BS with us. Cause they've been following us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They've, they've already reached out to us and other people who've hunted with us and they've already done their research. So the research and, and the results and the reputation is, is, is already, uh, it's already there, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, the perspective, the perspective client already has all that gathered and has already made, excuse me, their decision before they walked in the door, who they're going with. Right. So that alone changes the convention model i would think right yeah because it, I it mean, would have to so and that's a so, social media thing that's kind of it, it, exactly it. and and man i'm old school i'm not social media i mean you see me i can post maybe once a year mm-hmm. and that's if i'm really like on top of my game <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean that's, uh-huh. like, that's like i mean there's so much cool stuff i'd like to post but i'm also kind of a pretty private guy right yeah you know so so, uh, I, I, I have a hard time 
man, somebody's calling me. How do I like, uh, see, here I go. Um, yeah, whatever. I'll just let it buzz. I hope it's not messing us up. No, we're good. But, but you know, so I, like for me, like the social media thing is a great thing as far as business goes and for that next generation. And I can tell you this too. We're having more and more and more 30-year-olds booking hunts and less and less and less 55-year-olds booking hunts. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and, and those 30 year olds are used to the social media, you know, they were raised in, in that social media world. So they're able to pull or gather more information out of social media to make those decisions. So that changes the, the convention model, right? Right. Um, on how it goes, what that looks like in the future. I'm not sure of, I can tell you the, the model of a, a uh, organization like wild sheep, like they always have their hand out. They're always asking us for something. And what we get back out of that is nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I bet we've given them $150,000 for the hunt. The, you know, the president has never once darkened our booth with his presence mm-hmm. to say things, you know, um, I can tell you I've donated stuff to GSEO and every single board member there comes by and shakes my hand and says, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. That, that, that is a different thing mm-hmm. now. Um, and that means it, a lot, I think uh, it, it does. It, it certainly does. And, and, and me not being somebody who wants credit for stuff, mm-hmm. it's still nice to see my team appreciated. Right. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the team being appreciated because each one of those guys make sacrifices too. Um, uh, for this and each one of you know uh, the guides or, or the personnel that show up are pumping monies into that money into that organization as well right yes they're attending the dinners they're attending the auctions they're doing all that stuff yeah so so you know as far as my perspective goes I'm pretty jaded you know when it when it comes to this stuff because you know I'm I'm, I'm I like wild sheeps you know some of the stuff that they do but I'm I'm burned out on the high salaries to people and the blah la 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 and the and the and the elitist type of attitude that, that comes out of some of these organizations and the people within them. Mm-hmm. I have no time in my life for that, but I'll be honest with you, GSEO, I, I don't walk away from a convention feeling that way. Yeah. And, and listen, this is a GSEO podcast. I'll tell you right now, you know me T. Yeah. I would tell you exactly what I, what I think. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's, you know, I told you this is an unapologetic yeah. podcast so yeah. and you would never um, hold anything I, back anyway. So. Yeah, please. Yeah. And, and the other thing of it is, I think it's a, I think it's a horrible, the turnout for GSEO's conventions has been like horribly lackluster. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you get more people to show up, but the one thing I'm impressed with is GSEO has not uh, downsized their opportunities for their members to take part in raffles and stuff like that, just because the, the, the attendance at the, at the conventions down. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because a lot of organizations would have cut back and given less to their members. Right. No. And we're trying to do more. Yeah. Well, know. exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that's, uh, it's so it's true for sure. Yeah. Uh, exceed people's expectations and they'll always be back. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that it's as simple as that. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into a bash fest, but no, I, I, it's all good. No, I mean, that's, you know, I just, I like to pick your brain cause you, I mean, you've been in this industry for a long, long time and you've been to, you know, you used to be the president of, of the Western Colorado SEI chapter. Like, so, yep. you know, you know what I mean? Yep. And 
you know what it's like. You know what it's like to go to the convention. I mean, that year, you, the couple of years you were president, that you were like chapter of the year. I mean, so you know all about the the convention model, and that's why I kind of had those questions for you. And and you know, you have the other side of it where you're the outfitter, and you're the one that's in the booth the whole time. You know, so yeah. you see, Dude, that's rough. Dude, those are some long days, man. Yeah, those are some long tough days. Yeah, they are. And then you know, you hit back to back shows and. It's, it's, it's a super grind, especially when they're, you know, you got SEI and then you got GSEO and then you have wild sheep and then you have salt lake and, you know, and, and see for me, you know, uh, SEI is so broad that it doesn't quite scratch the same. It doesn't quite live in the same box as like wild sheep and GSEO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and, and I think that there's, you know, lots of species on the verge that SCI helps out. The one thing I really like about, you know, the the sheep organizations is is they're working much closer to home where we can actually see the on the ground projects. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, um, you know, I've been a part of some of those projects, you know, as well. I, like, I think that's kind of cool, you know, personally. For sure. I, I think it's kind of cool um, where a lot of the SCI projects that take place, you know, they're in. Uh, well, they're not in Western Colorado, right? Let's just be honest. I, mm-hmm. I haven't, uh, uh, but they're more of international, you know, it feels like just a bigger, a bigger footprint out there doing different stuff than the, the stuff that, uh, I, I can hope that my son can take advantage of here in Colorado, with, yeah. you know, with the sheep, you know, something like that. Translocating sheep to that lead to other hop, hunting opportunities for yeah. future generations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool how, you know, GSEO is going to do more of that. And, you know, uh, QU does a lot of that stuff too. So it's, it's cool to see, um, that take place and yeah. I yeah. And to watch privately funded projects like that take place is amazing. Yeah. Like completely like makes me think twice about my, initial reactions about some organizations or some companies when I see that they're doing a privately funded thing. I'm like, you know what, man, I, I, I guess I can buy some of that gear and support it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but it is like legit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause yeah, you know how it is mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I no. guess maybe not, you know how it is. You know how I am. <laughs> yeah. I know how you are. <laughs> Ain't no doubt about that. Well, that's cool, man. I appreciate your, your input on that. And and we, you're going to be there this year, right? At the convention? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, man, it depends. Um, it depends on what, what tag pops up in my pocket or, oh. you know, last couple of years I've, I've been chasing some, some critters yeah. during the convention times. Um, yeah. you got to remember, I give up all my August and September and, uh, and my May to, to Alaska doing that gladly I do it but it cuts into some of my own personal hunting time too yeah and we're going to get into a couple of those tags that you have here in a little bit but um so some of those hunting stories I want to talk about in particular your Pakistan story now you've told this story to me and Jason and we think it's the greatest story <laughs> ever but um yeah talk about talk about that hunt and talk about like what happened prior to the hunt and then, you know, everything during the hunt and just all of it that went into your blue sheep hunt in Pakistan. Oh man. I think your listeners are going to be bored out of their gore. No freaking way. Oh man. (laughs) 
I mean, just so, so uh, you know, I'll, I'll do like the cliff notes okay. and then you can ask me to elaborate right. on, on something. So, you know, it started out obviously blue sheep. Blue sheep have been a dream of mine since before I even knew what they were, right? Mm-hmm. They look goofy. They look exotic. I always wanted one, even before I knew where they actually inhabited. So finally, I earn enough money, you know, scrape some money together, and I can afford to go on a blue sheep hunt. You know what I mean? So, so you know, I'm trying to decide where I want to go. And, and, and I like, I think... More of the hunt for me is the pain you put in during the hunt. So for me, it was instant Pakistan. It was instant. I want to hike in there. I want to spend five days hiking into the nastiest shit that there is. And I want to do it the way I want to do it. And I want to find somebody who will allow me to hunt the way I want to hunt and do this. So, of course, I find Ali Shah in Pakistan. Great dude. Um, Get it all set up. and, And here we go to Pakistan. So. You know, I'm like five days away from leaving to Pakistan. You know, uh, of course I'm not packed yet, um, but you know, I've shot the gun. I'm dialed in. I know what I'm doing. And my and my son's like, "Hey, Dad, let's go ride dirt bikes." And so I'm like, "All right, yeah, let's go." You know, I'm going to be gone for you know 30 days. Let's go. We go out to the desert, and and uh, he jumps on his motorcycle. I get it started, and he tears across the the wash and he's out there and i watch him go smoking out across there and he crashes and uh it looked like a crash it wasn't a crash but so i like instantly you know i throw my helmet on no gear jump on my motorcycle start it up and i go tearing out across there and i have no idea what happened but i wheelied over somewhere in between the truck and him and scorpioned myself and freaking i i broke I broke uh, some vertebrae in my back and I tore two ligaments in my knee. And uh, five days before, <laughs> five days before. So, you know, you know the story. So, of course, like I freaking get myself gathered up. I can't even get my bike started or stand up, but I go hobbling over there to my kid and he's fine. Of course, he just laid his bike over and. And so then I have some guys help me load up on my bike and stuff and get and get out of the desert. And I'm like, so then I'm like, man, I probably need to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor and they're just like, oh man, you know, they're like, you're pretty banged up, you know, knees tore up. And I'm like, man, I'm going to Pakistan on a blue sheep hunt here in a few days. I can, at this stage, I can like hardly walk. Mm-hmm. But I told the doctor, I said, no way am I, I don't care if I have to crawl for five days, I'm going on this hunt. So do whatever you have to. If I have to find a witch doctor in Pakistan to inject stuff in my knee and my back, I'll do it. Just either you can help me or somebody else will. <laughs> so they end up like rush ordering a brace for my knee. And then, uh, you know, my back was in like, it, it, it was, it was really bad. And, uh, but I don't know. So I, I leave for Pakistan and I sent TJ pictures yeah. of, uh, of me in the airport with ice packs on my knee and like, and he's just like, you're an idiot for doing that. I'm like, you're really going to do this. He sent me a picture. His leg is elevated. He's got a whiskey in one hand (laughs) and he's like, I'm on my way. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like only, only DeRose. Like if you know him, only him. (laughs) So go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So, so then obviously get, uh, get to Pakistan, you know, we do the, the, first we go and we we hunt ibex for a few days and uh, get some ibex killed and and it was i mean it was horribly uncomfortable but i'll be honest with you the best my back felt was when i would put a backpack on so um 
you know, just, you know, and, and again, we go back to that model. Like I want to suffer as much yeah. as I can. Um, so we get, we, you know, we get some uh, Ibex killed and now we're off to Shimshal to, to hike in there. And, you know, we get up in there and of course it's, uh, you know, it's April when we're doing this hunt and, uh, it's, you know, end of the season, you know, it's terrible weather, you know, every morning, you know, we wake up and it's like, it snowed all night. So now we can't go anywhere until the sun comes out. Cause then it's just like avalanche central, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, uh, it's just like, literally I was planning on being gone for like 20 days. I was gone like 35, Jeez. you know, cause I was just like, man, I mean, it was just the same story every morning. It was just brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. And so, you know, we, uh, we get up in there and, uh, you know, every day, like, so first off, I thought like hunting blue sheep was going to be like any other, you know, sheep I'd hunted. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had no idea that we would be competing with snow leopards on every single group of sheep. <laughs> like, uh, like everybody, I thought snow leopards were, you know, I had seen one mythical in, creature. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'd seen one in Kyrgyzstan and saw a bunch of tracks and stuff when I was hunting Marco Polo. So, you know, I, I knew they were there, but literally this would be like, you know, we're camped at like, I don't know, 14, five. And, and we would start grinding for like eight hours to get to a group of rams. And, you know, we're pushing like 17, five and we would get within like four or 500 yards. And literally on the trail we're walking on, there's leopard tracks headed right to the sheep. Wow. And I will bet no less than four or five times, like we were laying down looking at sheep when the entire herd blew out of there with, with leopards chasing them. Really? It was, it was the most front, like disheartening after that happened, like, like three or four times. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't <laughs> like, I can't imagine trying to kill one of these with a bow. Cause <laughs> Holy crap. So, so we finally had a, a day of good weather and this is, this is kind of like, this is just like mountain hunting in Asia. This this kind of like sums it up. I've had some similar instances in uh, like Kyrgyzstan and stuff, but but we're sitting on this big rock face, uh, my buddy Tracy and I, and uh, and uh, we have we have a, a a guy with us, a guide, and you know he, he doesn't speak English, and and you know this is a big gnarly rock face that we're we're on, and. Uh, we're sitting there glassing and we're, we're probably glassing like a mile and a half at this, at this, this band of sheep. And, um, we're trying to decide, you know, how we're going to cross this big Valley and, and homies like right there by me. And, uh, and, and he, and he gets up and goes and moves. And, um, I didn't think much about it. I was just glassing, glassing, glassing. After a few minutes, I was just kind of like looking around. I'm like, where'd homie go? You know, he's like, he's not on the rock with us or on this face anymore. And so I get up and my buddy Trace is like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for homes. You know what I mean? I'm not sure where he is. And I'm looking, I'm looking left. I'm walking around and I look down and like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like 65 or 70 feet below us. He's, he's laying down there. man. And I was like, I was like, no way. I'm like, so I, scurried my way down there and my buddy's like what are you doing i'm like dude i'm gonna go check on homie he's laying down here i get around there and yeah he had like straight peter panned off that rock jesus he didn't he didn't scream he didn't welch he didn't 
ah, yeah, like, like there was nothing. And he like, unfortunately burned in right, right there. Unbelievable. So, I, so, I mean, like, but this just like sums up the entire, uh, Pakistan blue sheep hunt. Like, yeah. like just with like crazy, weird type of things that, that like occurred. And, right. you know, that was one, you know, that shut us down for several days what, as they got him gathered up. And, what did they do with him? Did they hike him out of there? Or how, what did yeah, they... they literally, they, uh, you know, we didn't have yaks or any of that stuff, but <laughs> don't even ask me where they found a yak, man. But like, uh, <laughs> but it was a couple hours later, you know, um, some of the other guides showed up there and we, uh, you know, showed them what happened and, and they like carried him off of there. And then, then they told me, I didn't see this. They got him down off the mountain and, and then they took him all the way to town. Jeez. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was just crazy. And that, you know, cut our staff, but I mean, the most amazing thing in all honesty is these guys are made of just like iron, man. Like, uh, like what took us four days to walk into, they literally carried that guy out and returned in three days round trip. Wow. I mean, like, and I don't even know how they, they physically, physically did that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, 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 crazy. But in the story, you know, we, uh, we, we freaking hunted for another, I don't know, like maybe 14 days and we got, we got a couple killed, but it was legitimately, uh, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I mean, absolutely amazing just from you know, taking four days to walk out after, after that entire hunt. And, and, you know, like being at 18,500 feet, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I think I sent you a picture of my watch mm -hmm. and, you know, I remember, uh, I, I ran up to try and find a, a blue sheep that Tracy had shot. And I was like, man, I'm at 18,000 feet. I've never been at 18.5. So I, Kept <laughs> I going. just walked up the mountain another 500 feet just to, just to do it. But yeah, well, no, but it was, for those people that don't know you, Aaron, like Aaron, nobody packs Aaron's stuff. He does everything. He packs everything himself, even on a bum knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he does not let anybody take his gear at all. So yeah, they were they were kind of offended when I when uh, when I wouldn't let them carry my stuff. <laughs> that's totally that's, you, though. I mean, that's yeah. a that's definitely a story, dude. That I think you know people have to hear because that's 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 really one of a kinder. I mean, honestly, like. I don't know anybody else that can say a story like that. Man, it just feels like par for course, man. I can get hit by lightning or something I'm doing is always getting hit by lightning. So that's just, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. no telling what happened. Yeah. And we, me and you have had this argument before. Like I always say Nepal is harder and you're like, no way. Pakistan's harder. Cause you know what you guys had to go through. But I, I think, you know, both of them can be really, a really difficult hunt depending on how long it takes you to, to find that i mean like something like with you guys had the snow leopards like we didn't have any of those issues like that so it can be uh, difficult to hiking up and down every single day of that high elevation yeah it was uh like honestly it was it was the greatest legitimately one of the greatest experiences and again i always tell people like for me it's not necessarily having the critter on the wall or have like like I dig the entire experience from crossing those rivers on those little hand carts to, 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 you know, riding their little moped up and down the road, looking for, uh, you know, looking for Ibex. Like I just, I just 
eat that stuff up. I love the experience from the time you get on the plane to the time you get back off and you get home. I, I, I soak those things up. And for me, that's the most, uh, that's the most important thing. Cause when I'm talking to my son, Eli, about this stuff, you know, um, you know, pulling the trigger is such a minor, minor, minor aspect. The real cool parts of the story and, and of the adventure were, were what occurred going from point A to point B, you know what I mean? Not, you know, laying down prone and shooting a blue sheep at 500 yards. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that's, that's a hundred percent true. Going on those types of hunts is truly an adventure for sure. And that's how you got to look at it. You know, just getting to shoot the animals, the icing for sure. And that's a true in a lot of those things, but like those ad- true adventure hunts like that, like you're a hundred percent correct. It, it, it's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. So, um, that's all good stuff. Now you've got a couple hunts that you've got kind of coming up. I know you've, you purchased, it's a Henry mountains desert tag, right? Uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a desert sheep tag in the Henry's. Yeah. So I know talk a little bit about that. And then I know you also have a Buffalo tag. So let's talk about the sheep first and then we'll, we'll finish up with the Buffalo and then I'll let you go. Yeah, no. So uh, I've got, uh, I bought it, uh, the Western Hunter. I bought the Henry Mountains Desert Sheep Tag. Um, kind of just some history. I've always wanted to, to hunt the Henrys for, for sheep, you know, just living in Grand Junction, going over there. I remember when the lake had enough water, you know, that, that, that you could get into uh, height. You know, I would always see sheep while I was fishing, you know, down at Powell and stuff like that. So I've always been intrigued with that country. And, uh, and I know that, uh, the Henry's has some phenomenal Rams in there. So, you know, when that came up at auction, I wasn't planning on buying it, but I ended up buying it. And, uh, and, and yeah, so, I mean, that, that season opened September 17th and it goes to, uh, what the December 31st. So I've got some time, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've been over and done some looking and, and, you know, Jason Carter and those guys and, and Adam Bronson, obviously good friends. And, you know, they've, they've given us some intel and stuff. In fact, this weekend, I'm going to go over and do some, do some checking. So I was having the boys build me a muzzleloader because I think I want to sh- try and shoot one with a muzzleloader. Yeah. Cool. Uh, for those who don't know, Aaron also owns a gun company. So by them building him a rifle, they're like, uh, building the owner a rifle. <laughs> 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 so, um. Yeah, that's cool, dude. And I really want to, if I can, be available to go on that uh, hunt. Yeah, with this you. this weekend it'll be, uh, you know, Jamie and uh, the three boys. Mm-hmm. You know, her two and mine, and we'll uh, go over there. And I, it'd be pretty cool if I found uh, the ram I'm. Uh, I got my heart set on. Yeah, because I would, but it would be pretty sad for the Gillespie boys and and a bunch of other people who want to come be a part if I, <laughs> if I went over there and smoked one with a muzzle loader, you know. And, uh, and we all just get the picture, like what yeah, the heck? <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, you know. Um, but I got a lot of time, and I'm actually really looking forward to hunting them in the rut. So yeah, and I mean having those like Carter and those guys give you the intel on some of those rams in there. I I, I expect your You'll probably know every sheep in the unit, I'm sure, knowing you um, before you pull Man, the trigger. We'll, we'll see. We'll uh, we'll see. It's uh, some big gnarly country, and uh, yeah, I'm just man. I'm just man. I'm just looking so forward to hunting sheep for me for a minute. Uh-huh. Like I know that sounds selfish, but not really. But, <laughs> man, yeah, it'd just be it'd be nice. Yeah, and that you're so you're a three quarter slammer, huh? The only thing you need is a stone, right? 
Yeah, I've got, uh, yep, that's the only thing I need is a stone. Yeah, so you've killed, what, this will be your second or third desert, something like that? Or... Yeah, so I've killed two deserts. This will be my third, um, so. Yeah. yeah, and then a rocky, uh, rocky, and then a doll, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so if you anybody want, wants to watch his Rocky hunt, it's on the experience. You can check that out. It's a Aaron. I think he what twenty three years, twenty four years. He waited. Yeah, it was I think twenty three years. Yep. Twenty three years, and uh, yeah, he we were lucky enough to follow him around on camera. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Aaron, you can check that out. But uh, <laughs> so you also got the buffalo tag. Yeah, I uh, drew a Wyoming unit two bison tag. So um, obviously, as far as North America goes, you know. Uh, bison's always been on my, on my hit list, but I always wanted to do, a, as wild and as free range of, a of a bison hunt as I could do. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, drew that tag. I mean, kind of crazy last couple of years, I've been pretty lucky at drawing tags, you know, yeah. I hadn't for the previous, you know, portion of my life, but the last three years have been pretty good. Yeah. You'll definitely want the cavalry on that one, huh? We kill, kill that Buffalo. Oh yeah, man. Like I, uh, again, it's one of those things I got the tag. I spent a bunch of time in Alaska. I haven't done anything, you know, as far as information goes, but Justin, um, who works for us, uh, at Dillinger, you know, he is from that area, spent a lot of time hunting bison up there. So, so it's going to be just a uh, getting the crew back together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And those are my favorite hunts. It's like, it's like with the Rocky tag, man. I mean, killing the sheep was awesome. But yeah. honestly, the the two weeks I got to hang out with you guys and the, and and the people I care most about in my life, um, is is what made it fun. Yeah, y you know what I mean, and and is what made the hunt for sure. Yeah, that always makes it awesome, and people are always willing to help out on those kind of tags too. Because I mean, like you say in the video, like it's not only your sheep hunt; it was you know everybody's sheep. So because everybody was involved, and the same thing with the buffalo or you know your desert ram or anything like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 way more rewarding for me to share it with people, and and it's funny. I used to be a solo dude. Uh -huh. you, you know what I mean? Yep. I never. Man, it wasn't until you know probably five or six years ago. Every animal I ever killed, I killed you know by myself, and I guess you know trying to push myself and and stuff like that. I can remember my dad just being livid with me. You know when I was like sixteen and stuff, just blazing out of school and going archery hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't do that stuff by yourself. But I mean, <laughs> I spent my life doing it. And it's funny. You kind of come full circle back to it means more in life when you get to share it with the people you care about. Yeah. Nobody to celebrate with. That's a, uh, that's hard. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I turned around to high five and there was nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, that's funny, man. Well, yeah, dude. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Like we were always boys and your feedback on everything is always, uh, always welcome. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can get together on a couple of those hunts and then, uh, yeah, we'll go back to Alaska and, and, uh, guide some more clients, man. I appreciate it. Teach love you like a brother. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and anything I can do to ever help or help anybody, you know, I'm in. So, so if you want to know my unfiltered, ideas just ask <laughs> you were pretty tame on this one though bud uh, I, I did my best you did you did a good job okay good all right brother we'll have a good day man all right you too thanks a million okay bye. Right. are you registered to come to our convention yet spots are filling up fast so make sure and go to slamquest.org and get that done
We'll be holding it once again at the Westgate Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, January 19th through the 21st, 2023. Come and enjoy the greatest awards program and talk with outfitters and friends from around the world. We've got some really cool next level things we're unveiling at the convention this year that you won't want to miss. So we hope to see you there. 